So uh, leaving here was pretty expensive. Um, you think moving to NorCal, we save money. Um, we actually lost money because when I got there, I realized we needed to build a pool. Like, it's hot. And I left SoCal, which is really just perfect weather all the time. And so stop complaining. If you're complaining living here, knock it off, please. <laughs> but I'll often say that the depth of your why will determine the length of your what. How deeply you believe something, need something, want something will determine how far you're willing to go for it. And so as we moved from Southern California and perfect weather to Northern California and what I call the surface of the sun, we had three whys. The first one was this, just my joy. Now, I want to be very clear. This is not my pool. My yard is not this big. But it's an example of a pool. And so that was the first one. The first one was, man, we just want to have a place where we can cool off. The second reason, as many of you know, Braden's had cancer twice and a bone marrow transplant. He just turned 16. He got his driver's license. It's just so cool. My insurance tripled this week. And so we recognized that salt water was good for his skin. And so we built a pool because of my joy. Secondly, because of his skin. Of course, I tried to turn it into the doctors as like a, a write-off. It didn't work. <laughs> but I tried. And the third reason we built a pool was simply this, a place to gather. It just feels like people get together around pools. So even this pool is, is way nicer than ours. But you get the idea. There's like a Baja step for the little kids. As we built our pool, there was a deep end, and they were both needed ends of the pool. In fact, in the deep end, I love. I love to dive and swim, and that's where it feels like all the fun happens, is when you're digging for rings, and you're going under, and you're cannonballs, and you're splashing. Belly flop contests in our family are fun. And that happens in the deep end, not the shallow end. But there's all these different places. Of pool. It's not just the pool itself. There's these places around the pool. Like, like for us, we have a barbecue pit on one side, and we have like a, a wannabe miniature golf putt area on the other side. In fact, at our house, we built a side gate similar to this so that all of our neighbors can come in whenever they want. I just asked them to text me first. But there's all these different places and spaces that we built and that we designed, and they were all meaningful. The barbecue was my most meaningful place. And I'll never forget that, that moment. We had our first big barbecue, and people came over, and we invited them over, and it was incredible. And I started to recognize and see all the different spaces were getting used. They were all being enjoyed differently. Of course, you had the babies and the toddlers that were sitting on the Baja step, and it was a great place for them to be. You had kids belly flopping and jumping off. I also noticed a lot of adults like to stand in the Baja step. I don't understand it. It was for the kids, not for you. But don't mess up my hair. I started to recognize also there were other people that wanted nothing to do with the pool. Like it was almost like they were allergic to water. Like, like we built the pool so you could get in it, not so that you wouldn't enjoy it. And yet the reality is there's people in our life that want nothing to do with the water. They sat on the, pot, on the patio, they enjoyed the fire pit and the barbecue. And I think that this picture of this pool is actually a metaphor for life and specifically our walk with Jesus. First of all, we all deserve the surface of the sun. But God, being rich in mercy and abounding in steadfast love, he gives a son for us, and he gives us true healing water. Amen? Now, again, I forget, I only come about once a quarter, but when I say amen, that means one of two things. It either means, yes, pastor, I'm with you, I agree, or I'm not asleep. I'll take either answer. <laughs> Jesus offers us joy-filled relationship with him. Amen? 
And I think that happens in the deep end of the pool, but I fully recognize that there's other people that they're not ready for. In fact, have you ever noticed we don't throw infants into the deep end? That's called child abuse. I know there's videos out there now where they, they know, I think inherently inside of us, it's almost like they know how to flip over and get to the side, but they don't know how to swim and enjoy the depths of the pool yet. And so as I've grown in my faith, I fully have recognized this metaphor for the pool, not just applying to my backyard, but we all needed to start at the Baja step. We all needed someone to show us how to swim, how to enjoy the depths of Jesus. Exploring him, enjoying him, it's our mission statement here as a church. And so I want to honor people wherever they are in their journeys with Jesus. We use this picture at Vintage and at RCC as a reminder that everyone's on a journey. Now, I want to highlight the far right arrow. The far right arrow just simply means this, that, that when you were born, you had this inherent desire to pursue your joy. And that's what we believe at RCC. We believe that every one of us was born. That's the first line over there, that we're born and we're on this journey. And my prayer, my hope is that you have discovered the joy of Jesus. And you're here at, at RCC because of that on some level. In fact, at Vintage, we say twice a year I talk to the yet-to-believe, Christmas and Easter. They show up. Whether we invite them or not, they just show up. It's great. But 50 Sundays of the year, we really focus on making disciples that will then go make disciples. And so I'm making an assumption this morning that you're here because you've experienced the joy of Jesus on some level. If you're here and you don't know the joy of Jesus yet, thank you for being here. Thank you for exploring faith, coming with the person that invited you. Here's my hope for you as a guest pastor, that you would be happier tomorrow than you are today. But that's only going to happen if you meet my Jesus. And so that's what that arrow represents. The arrow represents that everyone in the world is pursuing their joy. We as believers think that that's found in Jesus. Amen? And so again, we're on this spiritual number line. We're on the spiritual journey. And no matter who I'm hanging out with, my only hope for them is they're happier tomorrow than they are today, that they start to explore and discover the joy of deepening relationship with Jesus. In fact, that was his mission for every one of us, Matthew 28. He gives one mission to his followers. In fact, it's not that the church has a mission, it's that the mission of God has a church. He designs the church after the mission. The mission in Matthew 20, anybody remember what it is? Go into all the world and make what? Swimming pools. No, no, the mission is to go make disciples. And thankfully at RCC, we have a great definition of what a disciple is, deepening with God. Exploring, enjoying him, all the benefits that he gives us, that in the garden life was good. And how long did the good life last? Two chapters until we rejected the offer from the relationship with the Father. We knocked him off the throne of our heart. But R1 is our first part of our definition of a disciple. R2 then is a life-changing relationship with other believers. And R3 then is an engaging with the yet to believe. And so for us, a disciple, the mission of God is to go into the world and to make disciples. Not R1, not R2, not R3, R cubed. That's why that R is capitalized. Have you ever wondered, why are all the other R's little? That's why. We're focused on our cubes, on a deepening with God, life changes other believers, engaged with the yet to believe. Todd preached a great sermon to kick this series off, but did anyone else notice he said nothing new two weeks ago? You're like, are we making fun of Todd or not? I'll laugh if we're making fun of him. I just don't know. I, I preach the same sermon every Sunday, live our cubed. Fight for your joy in Jesus. Don't do it alone and then be sent ones. And so that's what Todd said. So why then is the mission of making disciples so darn difficult? I think two reasons. The first one is simply this. We don't actually believe there's more joy in Jesus, so we hang out at the barbecue because we have not yet fully understood the joy of living with Jesus in the deep end. That's one. And the second reason why is simply because no one's ever modeled it with us and for us. 
No one's ever come alongside us and just said, hey, can I just show you how to enjoy God? Can I just show you how to fight for your joy? Can I show you what it looks like for me to enjoy God and to follow with me? See, the journey with Jesus, disciple-making, missional living, being a missionary, is just simply you following Jesus first. And secondly, you're just inviting anyone that wants to find more joy in their life. Anyone who's willing to go with me, they follow us as we follow Jesus. And please hear me, RCC, you have done this for me. You've modeled for me corporately what it means to be a joyful community of faith. Personally, Chapman and many of you, I mean, I still look at a room full of life group leaders that I've been in your life groups, I've been in your living rooms, I've journeyed with you. So thank you, thank you, thank you for being a joyful community of faith made up of joy-filled individuals but we may not miss our call to actually share the joy. This is not a call for pastors. This is a call for saints. Every son or daughter of the king is also a sent one. He has saved you to send you. And so it's been fun to hear the stories. It's been fun to walk with the staff this fall and now to be back this spring and to look at what's happening. Because you don't have winters in, in Southern California. You just have fall and spring. But to be with you and to see God moving. And so I want to remind us of, of the reality of simply this. This Sharing the Joy book is not a playbook. There's a big game going on this afternoon. You know about that? In SoCal, you don't have football. But we have football in Northern California. There's a big game going on. Take that shirt off, by the way. That's rubbish. <laughs> We're going to do communion later and you'll have a chance to repent. <laughs> but this is not a playbook. See, way too often in the church, we're like, what's the playbook? No, no, no. There is no playbook. It's a process. It's a natural, organic process, how God designed us and how Jesus modeled for us the making of disciples. This is no playbook, but this is a process of relationship building. And so last week, Huggins did a great job. He started with identify. In fact, hopefully you set your alarms. Please, if you haven't yet set your alarm, it's changed my life. By 9.38, every day I wake up and I remember what the mission is, that the Lord is the Lord of the harvest. And the mission is that he would send kingdom laborers at first service, mute your alarms. you got like one minute left before they go off. Again, it's the he's the Lord of the harvest and he's sending. And so what we did last week is we just took time, seven days worth of just praying and saying, God, would you help me identify? I'm so thankful people identified me as a future disciple maker. I'm so thankful for Miss Pelfini, my third grade Sunday school teacher. For my grandma and my grandparents that, again, they're the only ones that ever called me Andrew because I was in trouble and I'd be in a bad moment of life. And they'd say, don't worry, Andrew. We got you. We're praying for you. God is good. You are not. <laughs> but God, he is good. And so I know I was on other people's pray watch list. And so church, please hear me. I pray and I hope that you have been developing your pray watch list. Starting to recognize who God is and what he is doing and the relationships he put in your life. Peyton just started basketball, my, my daughter, who most of you don't know. She wasn't here when we pastored here. And, and, and so, again, she started basketball. And so, sure enough, we're driving to her first game. Yes, she scored the first bucket of the year. It might be her last bucket of the year, but so far, so good. We started praying for the kids on her team. We have no idea who is going to be on her team. We have no idea. What we do know is that God loves them. What we do know is that our lives have intersected for a reason, for his glory and for their good. And my hope is, I don't know if they're doing cannonballs metaphorically or if they're allergic to water. I have no idea where they are, but I'm praying and I'm watching and I'm asking the God of the universe to step in and to save them and to call them to a joyful relationship with him. I have zero power to save, but God does. And so we started last week with identify. Can we just identify who are the people, where are the places and the spaces 
Maybe you're starting to have faces on your pray watch list. Remember, there's people on my pray watch list, I don't know who they are. It's like the redhead barista at Starbucks. And I'm just praying and I'm watching. And I'm saying, God, would you open a door? Would they ask a question? And then the time is right, then I'll step. And so today we're starting to talk about steps. Today we're looking at invite. I think that's really the first step. We pray, we watch, and then when the time is right, we take a step and we invite people into relationship with us as we follow Jesus. We're not inviting people to church. I like Sunday mornings, my favorite gathering of the day. Favorite one of the week, it's just 0.7% of your life, that's it. If I preach, it's 0.75 because I'll preach really long. We're inviting them to journey with us. Why? Because who are we journeying with? We're following Jesus. We're walking with him as our rabbi. And so we're saying, hey, follow me as I follow Christ. And so that's what we're doing today. What are we inviting them to? We're inviting them to hang out with us. We're inviting them into deeper relationship. We're inviting them to come to the barbecue literally and metaphorically. And so people say, well, Drew, just what do I do? Just tell me what to do. I can set an alarm. That's kind of something to do. But really what I want you to do is I want you to pray. I want you to abide in Christ. I want you to follow Christ first and foremost. Our one is our one for a reason. As you abide in Christ, as you are going, I pray that you are watching. That you're praying and that you're watching and you're praying for these people to come into a relationship with Jesus. And so I'm so thankful for the many saints that have invited me into that relationship. Here's my summary statement for today's text. If you have your Bibles, turn to Matthew 4. That's where we're going to be in just a moment. Jesus invites each of us into a joyful journey with him. That's the first step. Follow Jesus, our one. But the next step is then kingdom movement, and that's one of my favorite phrases. Have you ever read the New Testament? You read the book of Acts? Does that sound fun or what? Like, I feel like that's what I've been a part of since you guys sent us out. I feel like literally the Spirit of God, through your ministry and leadership, set my wife and I apart and sent us out. And we've just watched God do incredible things, immeasurably more than we could have ever dreamt or imagined. And I get this front row seat to kingdom movement. Kingdom movement happens when saints pray and watch and step. Kingdom movement happens when you and I begin inviting other people into our same journey with Jesus. It's not actually about inviting them to church. Sorry, Todd, that's not my hope for you. My hope is that this is a fun place, don't misunderstand me, but my hope is that they meet Jesus because you're walking with Jesus and you're just inviting them into relationship with you. That's my prayer for RCC. Everywhere you live, work, and play becomes kingdom movement moments because you're hanging out with people. Now, we use these images, a spiritual number line. This is adapted for, from Jeff Vandersell. It's just four core images of the story of God. Creation for our good, for his glory, joy in the garden. Two chapters later, the fall. And then Jesus comes. He takes our problem of sin and he makes a way when there was no other way. He invites us to follow him as he takes us back to the Father. And so that other arrow on, on the right side of the cross then is just yours and my journey with Jesus. And it's disciple making and it's messy and it's ugly and it's beautiful. If you read the New Testament, all those letters, you know why the New Testament's written? Because we as the church mess it up. How often? Every time. But the Spirit of God is leading us. He's leading us as his people as we faithfully follow him. And someday the living hope is going to return. Amen? Again, I didn't know at our church in the middle of that song, Bob, I don't know where you went, but I almost like jumped out of my skin. I just wanted to clap. The living hope is coming back to redeem us again. Amen? And so right now we're in this arrow going this direction, but he is going to come back for us and right every wrong and take us home again. He's invited us to follow him as he's leading us to the Father. So if you have your Bibles, we're going to look specifically at him. And I want you to focus on Jesus' words today, but also his ways. His words are important, but also his ways and his method. Matthew chapter 4, I'm going to read starting in verse 18. Read with me. 
While walking by the Sea of Galilee, he, Jesus, saw two brothers, Simon, who was called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, and they were casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he, Jesus, said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets, and they followed him. And going on from there, he saw two older brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, and the boat was Zebedee, their father, mending their nets. And he called them, and immediately they left their boat and their father, and they followed him. Jesus, we're here today because we want to follow you. Would you give us a moment right now, Spirit, to calm our hearts, to open our ears? Would you penetrate our hearts? Spirit of God, speak. May we faithfully follow you for your glory and for the good of those who are looking for joy. May they see your joy in us that you've put to us and that flows through us. For your glory we pray. And everybody said, amen. Now, remember Matthew 4 verse 18 comes after chapter 4 verses 1 through 17. So it's hard doing standalone sermons. I love you guys in the Gospel of John. You'll pick that back up in a couple of weeks. But, but at the beginning of 4, remember Jesus is led by the Spirit. That's all we're trying to do. We're trying to be Spirit-led people. God, what are you inviting me into? Spirit, you're moving. Where does the Spirit lead Jesus at the beginning of chapter 4? Does anybody remember? In the wilderness to get what? Tempted. I don't know about you, but sometimes I doubt the Spirit's leading. I'm like, are you sure this is what you want for me? Jesus follows. We think it's about the enemy, but God is doing, I love this John Piper quote, God is doing 10,000 things in your life right now, and you know three of them. You can't handle the truth. Like God is doing so many things and so often we miss them because we're not focused on what matters most. We forget that the spirit of God is leading us and so Jesus comes to die for our faith but he also comes to model for us what it means to be spirit filled and spirit led. And so he's led by the spirit. He overcomes temptation. Why? Because he's saturated in scripture, one of our values as a church. After that he goes and he preaches his first sermon and after that, that's when we come to Matthew chapter 4 verse 18. It's just as he is going... Ministry happens inside these walls, but so much more of ministry happens outside of these walls. It's just as you are going. In fact, one of my great concerns for the Church of America is simply this, that we forget that Jesus is a go-to king. Way too often in the world, we're surrounded by kings and we say, come to me, I'm the king. And yet Jesus, we just got done with Christmas, Emmanuel, God what? With us. He comes to us. Jesus is a go-to king. And so Jesus goes to his disciples to invite them. While walking by the Sea of Galilee, he sees two brothers, Simon, who's called Peter, and Andrew, who is the favorite. I know that's not in the text, but I'm pretty convinced as an Andrew, that's what he's saying. (laughs) Simon and Andrew, what are they doing? They're fishing. Why are they fishing? This is a deep end of the pool question. Why are they fishing? Because they're fishermen. It's just what they do. So Jesus goes to them where they are, as they are, and then he invites them to come with him. He takes the initiative. Way too often we in the Church of America have bought the lie that we're supposed to be inviting people to us when the gospel so clearly shows that he sends us to them. And so Jesus, as he's gathering his band of misfits, like we just got done with fantasy football in our home. If you look at the early disciples, I'm pretty convinced none of them would have been on your fantasy football team. Like this is a band of misfits, and yet he goes to them, he picks them, he chooses them, and he says, I'm with you, I'm for you, now follow me. He says, I'm with you and I'm for you, now follow me. See, church is a place where we gather as those who have decided to follow Jesus as our rabbi, this go-to mentality, and then he sends us. God is ascending God. The Father sends the Son. The Son sends the, the, the Spirit. And the Spirit sends who? You. Me. We, we are sent ones. 
That's what saved people are, and so we are sent. So Jesus models this for us. We are fishers of men. That's what we're talking about when we say share the joy. We're just saying share the joy that has already been given to us if we're following Jesus. And so Simon, who's called Peter, Andrew, his brother, they're cast their nets in their sea because they were fishermen. And he, Jesus, says to them two things, follow me and what? I'll make you fishers of men. The follow me is the master call. He says, follow me as your master. He says, follow me as Lord, just to be very, very clear, lest you're confused. We are not inviting people to follow us as masters. Are we good with that? We invite people to follow us as we follow him. Jesus says, follow me as Lord. That's the the master reality. Follow me. And then the second one is this mission. Now, when they follow him, do they have all their answers about Jesus figured out? Like, have you ever wondered that? Like, when do I become a disciple maker? After I go through next steps at church? After I become a life group leader? Like, when do I become a disciple maker? The moment that you start following. I've loved your John series. We walked through it a couple years ago as a church, and I love it. You know what I discovered over and over again in John? I think it's four or five times we see the author, John, tell us the disciples didn't actually know what they were doing yet. The disciples don't have the whole picture yet, but they faithfully follow. Because maybe they actually understand that the person they're following is the guy that's painting the picture. They understand that he's the author and perfecter of their faith, that he is the designer, the creator, that he is God. And so please don't miss this. Following Jesus doesn't mean that we know all the answers. It just means that we know the answer. And so he says, follow me. Follow me. Second is, and I will make you fishers of men. That is the master and that is the mission. I love this next part of the verse. It says, and immediately they left their nets and they followed him. Now you can see later he calls these other brothers and immediately they left their boat and they followed him. Now do you ever grow up reading these verses? It's also in Mark 1. It's also in Luke 5. Like when I read these verses as a young man in the ministry and growing up in the church, I read the word and I thought of everything. They left everything. In fact, if this was on PowerPoint, I think it would be like a thousand point font. What it means to follow Jesus is you lose everything. And way too often then we gather at church and we're like, I love Jesus. I've left everything. See, I know way too many Christians that aren't happy people. You do understand that's a terrible sales pitch, right? Follow Jesus and you're going to lose everything and your life is going to be terrible. No wonder why churches are shrinking in America. (laughs) Because the real issue is our one. Is there more joy in Jesus? If so, then we're motivated to teach people how to swim We don't shame them for where they are. We even built side gates for them to have access to him. We can't force them, but we can live a life of joy in Jesus. And so I want to be the first to repent here this morning. When I read these verses I used to read, they left their nets. They left everything. And what I missed is that him was the words that should have been a thousand point font. That there really is more joy in Jesus. You want to know the greatest evangelistic tool that the yet to believe world needs to see from us? Joy. And then unity. Joy in Jesus and then unity as his people. That's major on the majors and don't minor on the minors and that fight for their joy, which will never be complete apart from Jesus. And so at Vintage Grace, we call this communitas. You've heard me say it from here before. Communitas is not a common unity. That's what we call community. I have communitas with you, church, and I'm only here like four times a year. I have communitas when you visit in Northern California and when I visit down in Southern California. Why? Because it is not about a common unity of a zip code that you and I share. It's about a common master and a common mission. Amen? That we as church are family and it's not defined by our blood but by his. 
And so in the early churches, he's building the church. Please don't miss this. He's inviting disciples to be, have a common master and a common mission. Now, again, as the text goes on and going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, John, the brother in the boat was Zebedee, the father mending their nets, and he called them two. Why? This is a family affair. This is what we want. You know, the first people on my prey watch list as I became a dad was my kids. And then their friends. And now their families. These are the people that I'm praying, that I'm saying, God, I'm trying to identify spirit. Do you want me to go deeper with these people? I'm praying and I'm watching and I'm ready to step as the spirit leads. It's a family on mission. It's a communitas. That's what we're looking at in the text today. So what does this look like for you and me? Well, every one of us here on some level is on the spiritual number line. I believe most of us are probably on the right side of the cross. We've put him on the throne of our hearts, and now we're in this journey with Jesus. But as we are journeying with Jesus, our call, every one of us in this room, is to share the joy. Our call is not just to be a daughter or a son of the king, but to be a sent one that invites other people as well. And please don't miss this. Discipleship is messy. When you invite people into your backyard, you know it's a backyard for a reason. You don't want them in the backyard. You're inviting them in to have a front row seat to, to the chaos. In fact, even when we decided to put the side gate up, my wife was like, are you sure you want the open invitation? I'm like, no, I don't, but I think God does. See, discipleship is saying, you follow me as I follow Jesus. If someone follows you, guess what they're going to see? You. Is that messy for anybody else or just me? Like I still remember as a young man, part of what brought me to Southern California was I came to school at Biola University. I still remember my dad saying specifically, Drew, you're going to forget everything you ever learned in New Testament theology. And I was like, what a gift he just gave me, right? I can fail the class. But you won't forget the relationships that you build. I'm here for a reason. I still remember one of those first men that I met. He was a new professor and I was a new student. We played basketball together. And I said, hey, can I just follow you as you follow Jesus? And he said, absolutely. I need a babysitter on Friday night. Come over to my house and hang with my kids. <laughs> That's discipleship, people. Giving you a front row seat. You want to get to know someone? Babysit their kids and ask them questions. All you parents are like, I never thought that my sitter was asking them. Y yes. He said, come with me to Brea Community Center. We're going to play basketball. One of the, the, the first times we went and played basketball, he got into a fight with one of the other players. This is my professor at Biola. And it was afterwards. And it wasn't a big fight. I mean, it was short, short pulling and some pushing and whatever. And, and I was joking with him because they always pick on the old guy. The irony is now I think I'm the same age that he was then. <laughs> You know, we, we probably shouldn't be playing at the Brea Community Center anymore. No one would have drafted us. But it was fun. After the fact, we went to coffee, and my professor just said, hey, I just want you to know I wasn't a very good picture of Jesus right now. And I'm like, oh, I saw. Like, I was there. I also saw you repent to the guy that you pushed. I also saw you come back and not only repent to him, but to repent to your whole team and then to repent to me now at coffee afterwards. See, discipleship is not be like me. Discipleship is follow the guy that I'm following. There's a difference there. And it is messy. But if it's not about me, then I don't have to stress about it. In fact, one of the best ways I disciple my kids is through repentance. Now, I'm not forgiving you being a jerk. That's not what I'm shooting for, church. I'd like to not only say, yeah, just don't ever do what I do. No, I'd like to say I'm the happiest person you know to my kids, and that's why I follow Jesus, and I'd like you to be happier tomorrow than you are today, and so I pray that you too follow Jesus. See, this cycle of following Jesus, that's what we're after. 
But it's about Jesus and it's not about you. But the reality is this, discipleship is all about following the rabbi himself, that we're baptized into relationship with him, that we're saying, Spirit, we're choosing to follow you. I've also been baptized as a 49er fan, just for what it's worth. But when priorities line up, and I'd rather be here than there, because make no mistake, I was looking at being there today. But there's different priorities. There's different things that matter most because who the master is, who you follow, who sits on the throne of your heart. And so our series at RCC, this sharing the joy, it is a very practical series. My prayer is every Sunday's practical. Why? Because we're understanding who God is and penetrating our head to our heart. It comes out through our hands. But this series, maybe more than most, is practical. Why? Because we're looking at a pathway to promote the glory of God in following Jesus. You're going to see it in the Gospel of John if you look back at the last 14 chapters where you've been. If you look forward at the next chunk that you walk into, you're going to see Jesus made a pathway back to the Father. That's what he came to do. And when we think about this cycle of identify and invite and imitate, you know who actually did the cycle first? Jesus. So on one level, cool, Todd, thank you saying this is from vintage, but we just rip off everything from Jesus. And on many levels, from you from what you've done with me and for me. And so discipleship is this pathway of fighting for our joy in Jesus. Jesus did not invite people to a seminary class. He invited them on a three-year camping trip as he was going. He invited them to the campfire. He invited them to the pool. He invited them to the Sea of Galilee. He invited them to live with him. It was never a Sunday thing or for him a Saturday thing. It was always a Monday through Friday thing. Why? Because the vision of God and the gospel is always caught, not taught. It is not about a lecture. It is about a lab. And so what I love about this is every day you've been waking up and going to the lab. Every day you've been waking up and you've been starting your day saying, God, what are you inviting me into? You've been praying, you've been watching, and you're saying, God, what is the next step? And so today we're zooming in on invite. Jesus invited you and Andrew and Peter and James and John. He invited people to follow him. His words were great. Keep reading in Matthew chapter 5. The Sermon on the Mount is one of the best sermons ever. The Sermon on the Mount is significant, but it wasn't just his words he was inviting people to listen to. It was his ways. He showed them how to live in the kingdom. Keep paying attention to that in your John series. It was the way of Jesus, and I pray that it's the way of you. I pray that it's the way of RCC as you demystify and decompartmentalize what the gospel is, that my journey with Jesus is everything, that our job as pastors and elders is to equip and empower you to go be the living proof of a loving God, hence the 21-day challenge. And so when I think about life and, and about leadership, I, I saw this graph. I don't know who to give it credit to. It's not mine. But I love this picture, and I want to leave us with this thought. The invitation side of the axis refers to the atmosphere and the degree of welcoming a church or an individual. Maybe it's the messages that you offer. Do people enjoy being around you? Do they enjoy being at your church? Do they enjoy being at your home? Do they ever want to come back? Is it actually an inviting space and atmosphere? Is the message fun to listen to? Is it encouraging? Is it helpful? The challenge side of the axis then refers to the degree that others are encouraged to grow in their walks with Jesus, to fight for their joy. Are they challenged? Are they held accountable? Are personal disciplines engaged? Are sins exposed? Is repentance a normal part of your journey with Jesus? This year, you all have probably already broken your New Year's resolution. It's okay. You didn't need those. What you needed was New Year's repentance. That's what you needed. You needed repentance that started with Jesus. And maybe it's even a repentance of saying, God, I don't even care about being a disciple maker. I really just want to slap on the butt sermon. That's all I want. I don't really want to follow you. And so this axis 
calls us into the invitation and the challenge. And the theory is that churches and people fall into one of these four quadrants. I want to start with a low invitation and low challenge quadrant. My fear is that is the church of America. It's boring quadrant. It's an apathetic culture. We actually forget that life is short, that hell is hot, that every one of us does live and deserve to live eternally on the surface of the sun. We forget that the mission is worth it, that we were dead in our sin, but God makes us alive, and that's what makes us happy, not for today, but for an eternity of tomorrow. Here is my fear as I've watched the church. Every church in America is replanting out of COVID right now. What are we trying to win people with? Programs, lights, lasers, kids, preaching, music. I'm trying to win them with the fact that they're going to be happy if they meet Jesus. That he changes everything. And so my fear is we have this bored culture in the church of America. I want to look at the other quadrant, low invitation and high challenge. That produces a a discouraged and a burnt out culture. Jen used to make fun of me, and by used to I mean daily. And so when we planned a vintage grace, we got done with a meeting once, and and we were leaving, and and she just looked at me, and she shook her head, and I was like, what did I do this time, right? Like... And she said, do you realize you just asked them for a six-year commitment and to sell all their possessions? And I was like, oh, that's my bad theology from Luke 5 or or, or Matthew 4. Like I missed that it was a journey with Jesus, not buying your salvation. Like I forget. And so I tend to be like a life is short, hell is hot guy. And some people really like that guy. Other people are just turned off by him. It's okay. It won't bother me. I'm going to follow Jesus. She says, Drew, do you recognize that sometimes you invite people to the pool and then you actually take them up to the roof of our house and say, now jump in, it'll be super fun. (laughs) See, one of my liabilities as a leader is I believe the Holy Spirit is in you, which means that I'm a terrible church plant assessor because if the Holy Spirit's in you, then I think you can plant a church. So I think everybody should be church planters. Now, part of that's actually biblically sound. Why? Because church planting is just disciple making on steroids. That's all it is. You make a disciple, and they make a disciple, and then you come to life group. It's a gathering of disciples that have made disciples. And once you get three or four life groups, you're like, hey, we got a church. And so part of it's a strength, but the shadow side of that is is I keep the invitation low, and I keep the challenge high. Now, my wife is actually the opposite. She invites everyone to everything. I'm an introvert, and no one believes that, and it's okay. You don't have to believe me. Just ask my wife. Like, I'm an introvert. She would host a barbecue in our backyard every day if I would say okay. Every day. And I'm like, I don't actually want to see people. Ever. Ever. Like me and Emerson and Thoreau are going to hang out at Walden's Pond and we're going to be just good. <laughs> but, but here's the truth. She's a high invitation and a low challenge. And so I've teased her. I said, babe, you would build like a lap pool. Everyone just comes and they just kind of hang out and it's cool. But nothing ever gets accomplished. There's got to be a balance between the low invitation and high challenge and the high invitation and low challenge And I think the balance is high invitation with high challenge. I think that's the church of America is what we're called to be. That we're actually called to be a discipling quadrant that empowers culture to go be disciples that make disciples. Because that was the mission of Jesus that he gave to his church. He said, church, I designed you to be on mission, to disciple, to pray, to watch, and to step. To invite people into relationship with him. And it changes everything. And sometimes my pray watch list never has a conversation with me. And that's okay because I'm not the Lord of the harvest. I know the Lord of the harvest and I ask him to do a work, but then sometimes those relationships lead to questions. I try to encourage missionaries, which you all are. We don't answer questions for people that they're not asking. But, man, we better be ready to answer the question when they ask it, right? My greater hope for you, RCC, is you live in such a way that when they start to ask questions, you're the first person they go to. 
because you've been high invitational, because you've been high challenge, because you recognize the joy that Jesus offers. I told you guys the last time I was here about my buddy Bryce. Bryce was a young man that I coached that, again, was diagnosed with cancer. And it was about a day before he passed away since the last time I've been here in October that, again, it was very clear that he was going to meet Jesus face to face. He came to faith a month before. And he said, Drew, I'm not getting out of the hospital. I missed my chance to get baptized at church. Would you baptize me in the hospital? Like, I've never done that, but I'm there. And he and his buddy, who also just recently came to faith, these were just two kids that were on my pray watch list. That's all they were. They were two kids that God loved dearly, that God pursued. And he pursued through a church like RCC called Vintage Grace, praying and watching and stepping and coaching Little League and coaching at the high school and being teachers. And so when Bryce was ready to ask the question, we as a church family were ready to answer whatever questions he had. So Bryce got off the throne of his heart back in, in September and then got baptized in October and then met Jesus face-to-face -face the next day. Church, there's nothing better than that. Now, don't hear me say there's not pain. Keep praying for Bryce's family. I love them dearly. They came to Christmas. It's a big deal. A family that, that again, had not really come to church before that is now asking questions about the deep end of the pool, about the shallow end of the pool. As people that, so many people in my pray watch list, they're just allergic to water, they think. They have no desire. But we get to pray and watch and step. And I love this. At the beginning of this series, Todd, you made a comment. I can't wait for the first Sunday of 2024. Who are the people that are in your life right now? They're already in your life. They're in your classrooms as a teacher. They're in your neighborhood as a friend. They go to your offices. You're on Zoom calls together. Who are the people? And I'm not asking you to save them because you can't. What I am asking you to do is to pray for them and to watch and to be ready to invite them to journey with you as you journey with Jesus, to invite them to a cup of coffee, to invite them to a beer. Maybe invite them to church later, but don't mess it up, Huggins. I love that. Don't, don't invite them to church if that's going to ruin it. Church isn't the goal, joy in Jesus is. Our call is to share the joy. And so what are the implications for us, church? I'll be quick here. The first one is this, everyone has one. If we're looking at the first Sunday of 2024, who are those people in your life right now? They're already there. They're already huckleberries spread around. Who are the people that are already in your life and have we started praying, maybe at least just for a week, when those alarms go off, I pray over my pray watch list every day. Sometimes it's a general prayer, sometimes it's specific. And I want to give you a moment right now to just pause. This is God's plan for kingdom movement at RCC. That everyone has one. That every one of you in this room right now has someone that I'm confident God has intersected your life for a reason. So that you would be the living proof of him, our loving God. That you would model for him what joy in Jesus looks like. It's our calling in life to enjoy God and help other people do the same. So would you pause and just say, God, who's my one? They're not your one anyways, they're his ones. And God loves the ones. He leaves the 99 for the ones. Who are the ones in your life? And so what are we inviting them into? We're inviting them into life on life ministry. Who are they? You and who? Remember, Jesus went away to the mountain he prayed. That was last week. Don't stop praying. Keep praying. I keep praying my pray watch list over and over and over again. I keep praying Matthew 9, 38 over and over and over again. Keep praying and watching and stepping. Keep inviting people into a front row seat of your life, into the backyard of your family, and they're going to see the ugly of Drew. We joke at Vintage, Drew rhymes with poo. 
But it's cool because I'm not the one I'm inviting them to follow. I'm inviting them to follow Jesus who I'm following. Who are you inviting? Who are you praying and watching and then, and then stepping as the spirit of God stirs? Because he is stirring. The problem is we're not often listening. When and where do we do that? Wherever we go. Wherever we go, wherever we are, we're just praying without ceasing. We're abiding in the vine. The spirit of God is leading us and we're redeeming the spaces and places he has before us. The gym, coaching, walking, talking, fishing in your neighborhood, grocery shopping. I'm just saying, God, do what only you can do. Call people as the Lord of the harvest from death to life. Why? Because it's all about the glory of God. Don't ever miss that, church. Joy in Jesus is not the number one value. The glory of God is. Piper says it so clearly. God is most glorified when you and I are most satisfied in him. It's his glory. It's our joy. There is no greater joy than watching people yet to believe come to faith. And it's their good. It's the first Sunday of 2024. And so why do we do this? We do this because Jesus invited us. Because Jesus made a way for us. And so today I want to give us a moment to just prepare our hearts for communion. Communion at RCC is for those of us who trust and treasure Jesus. We've gotten off the throne of our heart. We've repented. We've said, I believe that you are Lord. But the reality is, help me with my unbelief. If you don't trust and treasure Jesus, I would encourage you to skip this part of the service. But for those of you who do, take this time to examine your heart to repent. Take this time to say, you know what, God, honestly, I don't care that much about disciple making. I really like the Baja step. I actually like the barbecue even more. I really don't want to go deep with you. I don't want to be challenged. I just want to get just enough Jesus. Jesus says, no, I came as the way, the truth, and the life to invite you to the banqueting table of grace. So I want to invite you as you feel led, as we sing this song, to remember and to ponder how deep the Father's love. We've got three stations come and grab the elements. We're going to take them all together after we sing this song. Spirit of God, would you speak to us through these words? Would we guard our hearts and would we take this moment to examine and to repent and to remember that you invited us to follow you to not just the cross, but also to the resurrection of new life. Church, as you feel led, come and receive. We'll take in a moment together. In America, we say something is yours because you've designed it and created it or because you purchased it. Jesus does both for you and me. He designs us in the garden. We reject him in the fall and in the cross, he purchases us. On, on this last supper, Jesus invites his disciples to the table and he doesn't want us to miss that the table replaces the altar. The altar was a bloody place where sin was paid for. Jesus invites us to the intimacy of a table where we break bread and he says, this is my body broken for you. Take this in remembrance of me. He then passes the cup and he says, this is the blood of the new covenant. Lamb of God that comes, as John the Baptist says, to take away the sins of the world that is poured out on the altar for his glory and for your good. The sign of the new covenant, take this in remembrance of him. So Jesus, we come before you and we remember that the altar was turned into a table, a table of fellowship that you invited us who were far off, sheep without shepherds, ones that you pursued and that you called to leave everything, to pick up our cross and to follow you to, to the hill where you made a way when there was no other way. And so, Jesus, we praise you. We receive that. And now we build our life on you, knowing that you are the author and perfecter of our faith. Church, would you stand and respond as we proclaim the building of our life on you?
church every Sunday as we gather, we then scatter because that's the calling of the church to be sent ones. To be sent ones marked by his blood. To go live our lives not as if we're paying off our Jesus debt, but because we want other people to experience the joy of Jesus. I love the way Mike Breen says it. He says, look, church, if you make disciples, you're always going to get the church eventually. But if you make a church, you rarely get disciples. I hate that quote as a church planner. Here's what he goes on to say. If you set out to build the church, there's no guarantee you're actually going to make disciples. It's far more likely to create consumers who depend on spiritual services that the religious professionals provide. Let's take that seriously. When Jesus says the harvest is plentiful but the laborers are few, my prayer church is that's not true of you. And I'm not calling Jesus a liar in his house. What I'm trying to say is that you are sent ones. And so again, we're all wannabe football players here. Some of us were real football players, but the rest of us weren't. And as a football team, we huddle on Sundays to remember the price that it's been paid. To remember that Jesus invited us to faithfully follow him and he made a way back to the Father. And then we get the joy of leaving this place. I love church. I love gathering. But the best part of our gathering is that then we scatter. And so again, I, I'm going to ask you again to just kind of live with me as your guest preacher. We clap at the end of every Sunday gathering. And the reason being is we're huddled as God's family. We're huddled to receive not, not the playbook, but the pathway to faithfully follow him. And now we get to be sent. We get to be sent to the people and the places and the spaces to pray, to watch. And so this week in your books, it's one of my favorite weeks, you're going to identify, God, who do I get to invite? Who do I get to invite for a cup of coffee? Who do I get to invite? We're going to start to look and evaluate our schedules and the places and spaces that we're already living because that's there for kingdom movement, for his glory and for the good of people. Everyone in your life is dying right now. I don't mean that in a depressing way. The question is, are they ready? You church are if you trust the treasure of Jesus. Now you get to go proclaim the grace, the glory, the goodness of the Father as you follow Jesus. Would you open your hands for the sending spirit of God fall fresh on us? We've, we've proclaimed, we've received your body, we've received your blood, your life, your death, your resurrection, and now we want to go live your life. We want to build our life on you. And as we leave this place, as we scatter from 5320 Richfield Road, would you open our eyes to see those around us? Because you are moving, Spirit, lead us into the ways of everlasting. Church, you've heard the word, you've received the word, now go be the word. And as you leave, would your eyes be open? Would you go in peace and would you serve the Lord? And everybody said, amen. amen.